0: and it's live (laughs) i can't believe you stole that from me we just discussed
1: nothing is sacred just discussed that i was going to say that
0: (laughs) um well everybody it is live welcome back to the fifth episode of the morality of everyday things i'm jacob one of your co-hosts i'm anthony And on this podcast, we consider issues or questions that touch our everyday lives, such as, should you have shared hashtag Blackout Tuesday? Or in today's episode, why do we segregate sports by sex? Before we begin and dive into this week's episode, we wanted to make a quick request of you, our listeners.
1: Yeah, we're a new podcast. In case you haven't noticed, this is the fifth episode. We would really appreciate if you could, first of all, Let us know uh, any thoughts on the podcast you have to share. Feel free to contact us on Facebook. We set up a YouTube and an Instagram. Please do give them a follow. It will contain more of the content. And particularly if you're enjoying it, please do give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps other people find us. And I know that you might think, oh, you know, other people do that. But it is still currently a small community. You'd be doing a really big favor to us if you do actually. that review we'd love to hear your feedback the
0: whole purpose of this podcast is to promote debate spark questions and engage people with interesting moral issues of our time so
1: reintroduce nuance into the uh, modern debate
0: exactly that's our that's our hidden agenda not so hidden (laughs) so yeah get involved and give us your comments and your thoughts we'd love to hear from you okay bringing it back to the question why do we segregate
1: sports by sex We're using a slightly looser format today. I think the question of sport, whilst it has some philosophy, it tends to be the kind of like haughty academic, like inaccessible philosophy rather than. You know, easy to kind of convey stuff like utilitarianism or Kantianism. Um, so we'll just, we'll, we'll, I think it might even be more appealing. Let's do ground up. So it's true. It's true. We looked into a lot of the research around sport and it's actually. Oh, my, it was like, it's is very it's dry. intrinsically defined or extrinsically defined. We're like, no, no, no. Let's talk about it from a, a kind of colloquial perspective. So, exactly. in order to answer this question, as always, we kind of need to think carefully about the specific parts of the question. You know, so if we're asking why do we segregate sport by sex, firstly, what is sport? I think, in the spirit, of what we're saying about like not being too academic about it, we can take it to to you know be a, a general definition of an activity involving physical exertion and skill, uh, in which an individual or team competes against another or others for, for entertainment uh, and to to try and win.
0: Yeah, I think that seems that seems fair. That- I think covers most sports that you might reasonably compete in. I suppose what's interesting is the definition does seem to be getting a little bit wider with time. I'm thinking specifically of
1: e-sports, right? Yep. I think there's also a bunch, a whole class of sports where uh, I use the words uh, involving physical exertion and skill. I think there's a class of sports where the extent of the physical exertion is kind of in question. You know, snooker. I, <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, I think yeah, like you know, some people will say darts and snooker sports. Some will say that they're mm. you know games. Um, golf is a good example because like it's obviously a it's obviously requires physical it's physically demanding yeah but not in the same way that say athletics is right Uh, it's definitely more on the skill side than physical exertion but we'll take that kind of general conventional definition
0: yeah the question isn't so much about what is sports but with that loose definition what we want to get onto is why do we segregate sport by sex which leads us to another question what is sex?
1: <laughs> oh man, takes me I was, back. I'd t- say no t- 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 <laughs> t- <laughs> This is just like when I was sixteen all over again. <laughs> no, no. We'll, okay, in this context, without immature laughing, we'll take it again. Let's take this as a conventional definition. So we'll we'll take it as the biological sex with which you were born. Now, I think the reason why this, you know, immediately people say like, oh, that's not sufficient. Um, I think the reason why this is currently interesting is. Precisely because we're at a somewhat pivotal moment where this is kind of becoming clear that a conventional definition has limits that are mm-hmm. kind of excluding some people or including some people.
0: I mean, yeah, exactly that. Uh, and we'll come to in a second, the example of castus amenia, which gives us the sort of current context and why this question is interesting. But exactly that DSDs, intersex, trans athletes, mm-hmm. all of those challenge our conventional thinking about sex and particularly sex in sports.
1: Yeah. So, Jake, do you want to give us a quick rundown of who Semenya is and why she's in the news last week? So, Casta Semenya is a South African middle
0: distance runner.
1: She's oh, a wait, 2016... Jake, you're middle. South African. Can you read this in a South African accent? <laughs>
0: I think uh, you know, the, the subject matter might be offensive enough without me. Casta <laughs> <laughs> um, Semenya is a South African middle... No. <laughs> it's going to us Let's reset. So she's a South African middle distance runner and 2016 Olympic gold medalist. Now she was assigned female at birth, raised as, and still identifies as a woman, but she has XY chromosomes and elevated testosterone levels. She won the 2009 World Championships, but then she was subjected to sex testing, withdrawn from the competition. It was a whole. It was
1: a whole debacle. Yeah, yeah. and and badly handled. I think yeah. everyone would admit. Yeah. I think so so to kind of put it in a quick sentence because you gave a couple specifics I think is it correct then that she falls in the category of DSDs which stands for differences in sexual development she fits in a very very rare class of people who seem to have some traits of each gender don't neatly fit in
0: I think yeah that yeah. that sounds like As good a summary as I've read. Now, in 2019, new rules came into force preventing women such as Semenya from participating in the 400 metres, 800 metres and 1500 metre events unless they take medication to lower their testosterone levels below a given threshold that they've defined. And Semenya appealed this and just last week at the time of recording this podcast. So September 2020, she lost her appeal. Now, the court of arbitration sport ruling acknowledged the harm of the testosterone rule to athletes like Semenya. But they said that, quote, such discrimination is a necessary, reasonable and proportionate means of achieving the legitimate objective of ensuring fair competition in female athletics.
1: So I think one thing that's just important to clarify is that we in this podcast are big fans of nuance. I think a lot of debate nowadays Kind of as soon as you say like one point on one side or the other, people are trying to like class you. So I think one thing that may be a little bit unfair on this ruling is that you've seen a lot of headlines that basically say like, oh is excluded from sport. This is a very specific ruling with with very specific limits. And the the quote that Jake just gave does clarify that this isn't like with severe contempt that they're doing this. They acknowledge that it is a difficult decision. And we'll kind of talk about the both sides later.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the, the ruling specifically, it doesn't set a testosterone limit for all female competitors, just for women with certain DSDs, i.e. those who have XY chromosomes, internal testes and not ovaries, testosterone levels in the typical male range, and whose bodies can respond to that testosterone. It also doesn't set a testosterone limit for women in all events, only to lower their testosterones if they want to compete against women in specific events, so the 400, 800, and 1500 meters. Those are the events they say in which testosterone levels and performance, combined with other evidence, suggest clear testosterone-linked
1: advantage. Yeah. Mm. Um, which is which is surprising, considering that there are other events where testosterone, both intuitively and I think empirically, is more heavily linked to success. So that would be shot putt, javelin, stuff like that. Mm. You know, upper body strength-focused ones. But. That the ruling doesn't apply to so this is a very very specific ruling that we're talking about and it's interesting like why those haven't been regulated
0: yeah. or if maybe that's just a question of why not yet
1: and also just to clarify as well again something that you might misread from the headline it does not say that Semenya is excluded it says in order to be included she has to meet a certain condition which admittedly is is quite an unpleasant one But it's not strictly saying that she is, under all circumstances, forbidden from partaking.
0: Cool. So we've talked a little bit about the case of Semenya. To bring it back to the question, why do we segregate sports by sex? Let's start by looking at the status quo.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is that was basically an introduction to a very specific status quo in one circumstance. And I think the point that that makes specifically we referenced the fact that we spoke about, you know, three events in athletics, 400, 800, 1500 meter, and that even that ruling by one governing body didn't even apply to all the events that they are managing. I think the really important thing to take away is that status quo really varies by sports. Sports cover an extremely wide array of communities and they each have their own rules and have had their own history and their own rulings. You know, in some cases they've introduced segregation, not just by gender, but by lots of categories. So in some sports, for example, bodybuilding and strongman competitions, they actually segregate by natural or untested because of legal conditions. It's a little, (laughs) it's a little, uh, but, the, you know, the fact that they have a natural one is basically saying this is the one where we make sure that we're taking drugs. <laughs> no doping. Yeah, no doping. We also do weight in some in some circumstances. So Boxing
0: being a good example, right? Yes,
1: boxing, uh, weightlifting, rowing. Olympic weightlifting, rowing, another one, which if you think about it, why does that make more sense than a height limit in or height segregation in basketball?
0: Yeah, it's true. Why does basketball not yep. split into... Extremely tall and regularly tall
1: categories. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The point I'm trying to make there, though, is that the status quo is more likely a reflection of a a random mishmash of historical decisions than some indication that the way that things currently are is a reflection of deep philosophical thought from each individual sports governing body. Weightlifting having weight classes, but basketball not having height classes, isn't some reflection of of the metaphysical difference between lifting weights and throwing balls into hoops just more reflection of the history and the people who managed those sports
0: and the kind of iterative way in which sports are evolved over time it's something just anecdotally as a a football fan i always found interesting is when each season they make some sort of minor tweak to the rules like kick off at the beginning of the game didn't have to go forwards to someone within the circle Mm. and it kind of changes the look and feel of the sport but in quite minimal ways but it's interesting to reflect that sport evolves
1: yeah, changes. sport evolves, and 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 importantly, actually, on that point of of it's not pointing to a metaphysical difference between some sports. I mean, arguably, we can even take that to the extension that sport is an entirely human construct, such that the sport can arbitrarily change. Like, there's no philosophically perfect way to play football. The mm. way to play football now is as correct as the way to play football in 1970 was. It's whatever the rules are set by FIFA. I'm not saying that's necessarily the 100% correct way to see sport. I'm saying that is a way that I think is most appealing to conventional people if you if you disagree tell me why yeah um write to us get involved
0: okay bringing it back to the question when we ask why do we segregate sport by sex the very framing for that question why implies that there is some underlying purpose
1: well i mean if there's not, then, then the answer is like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, the answer is it's irrelevant. So I guess a good way to go about answering this
0: question, why do we segregate sports by sex, is to say, well, what is the purpose of sports and to what end does segregation further that purpose?
1: Yeah, I think there's an, an interesting example where this very specific what is the purpose of the sport was actually discussed at length in the U.S. Supreme Court. So if you want to tell us about it?
0: It's true. This is in the case of the golfer Casey Martin. He was a professional golfer with a bad leg. In all other respects, he was an excellent golfer, but for him to walk around the course would have been painful and difficult. And all he wanted really was permission to use a golf cart to go around the course in tournaments so that he could compete fairly without being in pain. And what's interesting is when he took this to the PGA, the Professional Golfers Association, They said no. He cited the Americans with Disabilities Act, which requires reasonable accommodations for people with disabilities. And this went to court and some big names in golf testified. And they all said, you know, actually, yeah, walking the course is an essential aspect of the game. The fatigue factor is important. You know, if you're riding in a golf cart, it's going to give you an unfair advantage. Made it all the way up to the United States Supreme Court. And the justices had to decide whether he had a right to a golf cart. And in order to decide the case, they found themselves wrestling with the question, what is the essential nature of golf? What is the purpose? Is it just hitting a ball into a hole? Or is it also the walking of the course? You know, what What is it, what that, is it that makes matters?
1: golf, golf? Exactly. So what happened, Dan? I'm going to make a very long story short. He lost? No, he won. Oh, he won? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <going to> make... <laughs> Maybe I should do that. You know, so, <laughs> uh, so the court
0: ruled 7-2 in favor of Casey Martin. And the judge basically said that using a cart wasn't inconsistent with the fundamental character and he decided that the fundamental character was shot making. Another judge wrote a fairly spirited dissent of that in which he basically said the very nature of a game is to have no object except amusement. So it's
1: impossible to say that any of a game's arbitrary rules is essential. really assess this you need to you need to assess what the purpose is and the statement that there is no purpose is in essence an assessment of its purpose
0: yeah the so the debate was really on the one hand it was about sort of fairness on the other hand there was kind of a question of like honor going on here basically golfers felt a little bit sensitive about the athletic status of golf Mm. and they wanted to project the image that it's physically challenging and this ruling kind of stripped that away Mm. Uh, so yeah.
1: some controversy. Yeah. The, the underlying theme amongst this argument is a question of what is the point of it? Because mm. that's how you assess the argument. So let's discuss what, what, are, some, what are some of the potential points of, of doing sport? So we came up with a list of
0: six. Now, they're not necessarily exhaustive, but we feel like these are a pretty good list. Um, yeah. Do write to us if you have more or you think we've missed any.
1: In case you, you miss it, we're trying to get some engagement here, guys.
0: <laughs> I'm going to read out the list and then we'll talk about it number 1 personal pleasure enjoyment number 2 health fitness number 3 for moral and social teachings and aspirations number 4 to find the very best person at this specific skill or thing number 5 is the same but in a more controlled categorized setting so to find the relatively best person and number 6 is to make money it's sport is the business of public entertainment so those are six reasons, six mm. purposes for sport, if you will. Mm. Let's talk about them in a little bit more detail.
1: Yeah. Okay, let's start with probably the most relatable. Personal pleasure, number one. For the vast majority of, of sport, we're not competing at elite level or, or even competing with an aspiration of competing at an elite level. We're playing for fun. And you could even argue the other way around that a lot of elite sport, they may enjoy it, but enjoyment isn't a, a requisite. Is Kepchoge actively Enjoying running a sub two hour marathon is that? I mean, I'm sure it he seems gets, unlikely. Yeah, he, 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 he surely gets some greater sense of you know pride and achievement in yeah. his life. But the, the specific experience is probably not so great. I could tell you, running a four hour marathon was particularly unpleasant. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, whereas you know, in the case of someone like like yourself, Jake, who's turning up to play football in a Sunday league. You're giving it free time, you're net pain to be there. Oh yeah. Clearly you're you're I think it's fair to say you're enjoying the act of it's it's all about having fun. It's all yeah. about having fun. You're having fun. Sweet. Two, health and fitness. I think this is this is kind of a funny one because it's almost like sport is just a sneaky way of tricking people into <laughs> doing things that are good for them. It kind of is in a way. I mean a lot of sports are literally
0: games. Like they're designed yeah. to be fun and it's a great way of getting getting your fitness in
1: while enjoying mm. yourself. So I think it's one of the key reasons why A lot of people take issue with, for example, video games being classed as a sport because Mm. it fails to capture this very important element, which is necessarily physical. And Uh, then, yeah, there are some sports that are less on the sort
0: of fun side of the spectrum, depending on what you enjoy. But mm. nevertheless, you know, you go through gym classes and stuff because... It's good for you. It's net good for you.
1: Yeah. Third, moral social teachings, moral slash social teachings, uh, and also to, to serve as a, a source of aspiration. I think sports, we, we've all had this experience where, you know, you're writing your personal statement, in your CV, or you're, reviewing <laughs> if, you, if you happen to be in the case where you're hiring people and people often point to the fact that they've been involved in team sports as an important part of their social learning or, or proof of leadership mm. and stuff. Um, and I, I think this is actually deeply true, right? Like playing sports is, is an important part of our socialization, important part of, of learning how to interact with others uh, yeah, more, yeah. more often than not that working as a team is important also an uh, important moral learning or place to practice our moral learnings i think it's part of the reason why we teach good sportsmanship right mm. uh, the olympics has as part of their state aim good sportsmanship there's an excellent quote the most important thing in the olympic games is not winning but taking part the essential essential thing in life is not conquering but fighting well Yeah, that's a nice quote. It kind of gives a sense as to why, in a lot of circumstances, we might value the practice of good sportsmanship over necessarily winning. It's why, for those of you who are rugby fans, we may recall that I think a few years ago in the Six Nations, Italy found some flaw in the rules that meant basically they'd found a way to exploit the rules so that people weren't allowed to tackle them if they behaved in a certain way but it was, you know, aside from the fact the rules were obviously changed quickly, people didn't like it because it was obviously unsportsmanlike, even though it was obeying the rules.
0: It's funny because in in some respects, you know, you look at that and you're like, it's actually, it's a sort of clever, it's almost like a loophole in the
1: rules. I mean, interpreting the rules well, some could say is like a a part of being a a shrewd sportsman, but it seems to be that maybe to contradict what we're saying before, there is some metaphysical point of, of this that, you know, even if the rules aren't perfect, sometimes they miss out. It is interesting because actually that kind of speaks to the spirit
0: of the game point and why sportsmanship is so important. Because they're doing something like this and it's sort of seen as like, it's seen as sneaky. It's seen as undermining the essence of sport, even though, I mean, you know, it's it's legitimate. It's within the scope of the rules.
1: But yeah, it's like that sense society, of society, right? It's like... Yeah like it's like how offshoring your cash isn't illegal but most people are a bit like mm, you probably we it probably should be <laughs> yeah it's not within the spirit of capitalism yeah <laughs> well no seriously it's not, it's not, <laughs> not within the spirit of, of, of our tax laws certainly
0: yeah within paying taxes yeah and
1: that. so so we could argue that like i said way at the beginning of this ramble moral social teaching and, and providing a, a kind of source of aspiration for younger people that is respectable it could be an important purpose within sport
0: uh, it's a really important yeah. function especially
1: it, for like the level of yeah. kids and yeah. learning it might be for example part of the reason why we castigate sportsmen who have affairs despite Mm. the fact that that's technically not illegal
0: yeah, they have that sort of public profile, don't they? Yeah. And they become good role models. Okay,
1: that's, uh, that's, that was uh, a long one.
0: So, number four was to find the best. And actually, it's funny because I imagine most people, when we made this list, this is probably the thing that most people might think of first when
1: yeah. they think of sport, yeah. right? I think in this case, we're talking about finding the absolute best. We'll talk about conditioned best in the next case. And you'll realize that most sports that we're actually familiar with are in some way a conditioned best. But there is also an innate kind of curiosity, like, what is the most that a human mm. being can deadlift? What is the fastest <laughs> that a human being could run 100 meters? There is that sort of genuine curiosity and a sort of respect that we have. Granted, you know, some of it's genetically arbitrary, but to some extent, we're basically saying a respect for the, the amount of dedication and hard work it takes to achieve those things and basically what it means to be the absolute best at something. It's why someone like Usain Bolt gets as yeah. much respect and credit yeah. and reward as he does, yeah. right? Despite the fact that he is, clearly very genetically gifted which, <laughs> yeah. which might which may be kind of
0: you know morally kind of arbitrary and this does bring up an interesting question of meritocracy now we'll come back to that later but remember that point
1: so in that case we we're talking about g- genuinely the fastest human alive the biggest deadlift the you know like absolute world records the best yeah. of the best now interestingly when we think about for example the olympics or, or many professional sports leagues we're often actually trying to find the best in some sort of relative or controlled way right Mm. so we'll start to segregate these leagues and, and control certain conditions and under those conditions we're trying to find the best but why are some controls worth making i mean this is this is the the point that we're talking about when we say why do we segregate by sex right i mean one one case that we control in almost all sports is drugs we generally disallow performance enhancement it may be argued that this is for safety purposes but it seems to be at odds with with the previous purpose finding the absolute best at something because Mm -hmm. surely if you were the absolute best at something you'd be even better if you took performance enhancement right so by limiting that we're stopping ourselves from finding the absolute best it is interesting because there's no limits involved in like how much training you can do the
0: kind of diet you can have but Drugs, or, the, or the genetic or your genetic you makeup have. or your genetic makeup exactly yeah. but drugs seems to be by and large that's a pretty universal rule across sports yeah. with the exception you mentioned earlier uh, yeah
1: there are certain sports where that's not the case so bodybuilding uh, they have natural and untested categories strongman natural and untested categories even they kind of have a farce of the non-natural ones <laughs> still being tested but perhaps it, it messes with the fundamental nature of the sport or adds an element that people don't want to consider which is how good are you at sorting out your performance enhancement regime Mm. and then i suppose the other key point is just that it makes it unfair it's an interesting
0: thing, though, because you're right. When you introduce restrictions and in categories like that, it does almost become an element of the sport. Like a big part of boxing is weighing in at just the right level yeah, so that you yeah. have the maximum sort of power yeah. to output ratio. Exactly.
1: So suddenly managing your diet and your pre-weighing cut becomes part of being a good boxer.
0: Totally. Another thing we, when we were thinking about this is uh, how do people control and segregate? Skill level is actually another pretty universal way that we segregate. Like, It's just not interesting to have performances where someone is
1: way better than somebody else. But overall, again, this relates to meritocracy, the fact that we have these controls or, or why some are worth, worth making. I think the point is that we're trying to control for factors that make it unfair to compare people. In essence, we're trying to create a situation where there's equality of opportunity, not equality of outcomes. Exactly. Which is why my Sunday League team competes in the
0: Metropolitan London League, not the Premier League. Mm, not yet. <laughs> Um, (laughs)
1: Yeah. And then the final point that we mentioned was that, you know, perhaps sports is simply a product that a business is making. There is no fundamental good way to do sports. It's just about what makes sense for the product of that business. I think that kind of that kind of mindset is really clearly reflected when you look at, not to generalize, but most American sports Mm -hmm. in the presentation versus, for example, sports in the UK. I think, for example, when you think of the Super Bowl, people check what the Super Bowl ads were, right? Like <laughs> it's, it's almost as big a part of yeah, the, the, the spectacle, ads right? and The ads and the Super Bowl halftime show are like, yeah. like half of the event, right? Exactly. Um, whereas in the UK, that, that is not the case. Although that's not to say, I mean, sports
0: is still a massive business and football in Europe is just one of the biggest businesses out there in terms of the flows of money regularly going through it. So sports is, in the elite levels at least, in the business of public entertainment. That's, yeah, that's certainly another point. So... Between all those, we've got six purposes, if you like, of why people play sport. Now, how might segregation fit or further those purposes?
1: It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Let's start then with personal pleasure. Uh, I think this one's pretty intuitive. It's certainly more enjoyable, more competitive and safer Uh, In some cases, particularly in contact sports, when we do segregate sport. Boxing, right? That's a good example. Make them fairer matchups. So, you know, you you talk about your Sunday league. It probably wouldn't be particularly fun for you if you played a League One side Mm. and they beat you 20 nil right? Yeah. It'd probably feel like a bit of a a wasted endeavor. I mean, you might feel flattered that you got to play a League One team, but that's about the only enjoyment (laughs) you get, right? Exactly.
0: And... In the same way, you know, there's a strong case when you segregate by sex that it is just more enjoyable to compete alongside people who enjoy
1: similar skill levels and talents to you. And so a women's league makes, of course, intuitive, absolute sense. You'd you'd be excluding half the population from enjoying sports. Again, it's not just by gender. Like we say, it's why we have leagues.
0: Now, this does raise one interesting tangent. Why do we
1: segregate in esports? Yeah, we, we talked about how men have a physical advantage. That doesn't really explain why we would have separation in sports such as video games, esports, darts. Darts is a women's league, but don't prohibit women from competing in the Mm -hmm. world championships. If if we're trying to maximize enjoyment, and bearing in mind, like we said, 99.99% of sports isn't elite, it totally makes sense to create a protected class. I think that's also maybe a reflection of patriarchal history, uh, whereby sports was predominantly male in order to encourage the growth of uh, women's sports. You're not going to have many wonder kids suddenly come out of nowhere when you don't create the environment that encourages them to get into the sport, right? Absolutely, and I think, yeah,
0: that looking at goals two and three, which is a reminder, were for people to be healthier and fitter, and for moral teachings and learnings and those purposes that sports convey. Yep. I think inclusivity clearly matters to those as well. That seems to be the essence of the argument why segregation is beneficial is because yep. inclusivity helps get more people involved yep. and more people involved, more people do the sport, more people get healthy or more people are there to learn and to be taught
1: and, and, and enjoying it. And that's, that's true at an overall level, i.e. sports in general, but also interestingly at an individual sport level. And remember that individual sports are competing with each other right mm. there's there's only so much time that you have to play sports whether you choose to play football or handball is to some extent a reflection of which sport is more popular better and sports are, are trying to cater to more people so it makes sense that they invest for example in women's leagues to try and end franchise is that a word I guess so. The opposite yeah. of disenfranchise. Yes, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to enfranchise more people, to make the sport more popular, bring more people into the base.
0: And it's, uh, women's football provides a wonderful example of that virtuous feedback loop in action. In recent years, a lot more coverage was given to women's football, particularly the World Cup's which meant the more people were watching, which meant that more people get into the sport, which means there's a bigger talent base to choose from when you pick future teams, which means that there's more investment, more sponsorship. And obviously, the more exposure you get, the more sponsorship you get. And it does have this wonderful sort of positive cycle.
1: Ultimately, more people happy, healthy, and learning moral teachings of football well football sports exactly so there we
0: can see segregation does seem to confer a lot of benefit to the purposes of sport in those respects now what about on the more elite level what about when you're trying to pick the best of the best yeah.
1: so in that kind of absolute case that we said i suppose segregation is irrelevant right like if I think so. yeah if we're trying to find literally the strongest person possible the fastest person possible it's a singular spot right segregating it so that you have the best under this control and the best under this control and the best under this control doesn't really matter if anything it's possibly negative because you imagine that a competition that brings together the very best of the best is also what pushes people to be the very best that they Mm. can become actually to reflect on what we said before though perhaps considering again that sports are are competitive You could argue that being inclusive can get more people to play your sport, makes it more likely that the very best focus on building the specific attribute, maybe. Mm. But I'd say overall, yeah, it's kind of it's somewhat irrelevant, right?
0: However, what about the case where you're trying to find the best within specific categories? Well, that is literally segregation in action. Segregation is furthering the cause because it is literally the very process by which yeah. you are you are determining who is the best within yeah. your categories.
1: Well it's it's also it's interesting, right? Because I think if you if you were just looking for the absolute as in like the fastest person possible, like what is the fastest time that someone can run a hundred meters, what is the most that someone can deadlift. It does take away a lot from from the sport, right? It it means basically anyone other than someone with the perfect genetic makeup may as well not compete. Mm. Um, and really as we were saying there is a, sort of, there's a positive part of meritocracy where we want a equality of opportunity. There's many, many amazing female athletes who would basically be robbed the opportunity to even partake just by fact of being born a woman if the only point of sport. And to clarify, you know, these are six purposes that it could be a little bit of several of them, right? Mm-hmm. But if the only point was simply just to find in absolute terms the best at something, then we would be stuck. Um, I think another point actually is that we focused on the physical exertion part in the best Perhaps there's also an element of the best in in skill-based or more subjective sports. So, for example, dancing. In the case of that goal, to find the best within categories,
0: the one lingering question is what is worth controlling for? And ultimately, I suppose that's up to the sporting bodies to decide yeah. where they draw the lines. Now, the final goal was that sport is a business and it's in the business of entertainment and generating revenue. And I suppose it's kind of hard to make the case that segregation helps that, except that by segregating, there are more events to cover and potentially more merchandise. And maybe there's the whole aspirational point so that it yeah. uh, draws more people
1: in future investment. You get the positive feedback cycle. So yeah, actually on balance, maybe segregation does help that interesting so i think there's two terms competing with each other i think to some extent it was the questions of inclusivity and fair meritocracy right Mm. so like how do we include people it seems that a lot of purposes find inclusivity to be very important but at the same time how do we make it fair to compete and different purposes if we have different conceptions of the purpose of sport to different extents are these important right so if it's about finding the best inclusivity is less important if it's about people having fun Moral teaching, potentially business, health and fitness, inclusivity is, is of paramount importance. Sport would be a failed endeavor if only one person did it, but they did it extremely well. <laughs> yeah, you'd miss out on a lot of the, the moral teaching and a yeah. lot of the fun, frankly. Cool. So, so on, the, on the topic of inclusivity, it takes us to the difficult question that we started with. Yeah, it brings us back to the topic of Semenya
0: and other athletes that fall into similarly sort of gray area in terms of
1: categorization
0: by sex well uh, in,
1: in the perspective of committees not necessarily in their own perspectives in their own yeah. perspectives there isn't a gray area
0: yeah sorry there's a guy called Ashwanden uh who put it this way when we're trying to determine how to segregate people it's a trolley problem and world athletics and anyone who cares about semenya and track and field they have to acknowledge that no matter what decision gets made someone is going to get run over in other words it's a zero-sum decision. There, there are going to gonna be
1: yeah, there are going to be winners and losers. Specific to this issue, I suppose the principle is important. But one thing that's worth considering is the extent to which this happens. Right, the practicalities. Yeah, I mean, if this is if there was some assurance that this would literally be one person ever, you know, would it be worth causing a huge row over rather than just allowing them to compete? And then on the flip side, if it's only one person, is it worth disenfranchising a, a lot of women? or upsetting a lot of women just to allow one person the opportunity to compete it, it's sad but if if a, if an athlete gets hit by a car that's tragic and it also removes them from the ability to compete I think in the case of Semenya what makes it tragic is really the way that it was handled and the way that it played out I, I think it's without any sort of argument that they handled it in a fairly disgraceful way it was Basically, she was not told that she was being tested for her sex. Mm. And, then, and then it became public knowledge, which obviously is quite a humiliating way to deal with that interaction with the governing body. So the, the question at hand is not whether they handled it correctly. I think they, mm. they didn't. But it's, it's, the question is, you know,
0: how, how should it be handled going forward?
1: So Jake, one justification that people give for Semenya competing as a woman is that she was born and raised female and identifies as female. So to not allow her to compete is to reinforce harmful gender norms so if you're not womanly enough should you not be considered a woman mm-hmm. uh, which you know i think it's fair to say is somewhat corrosive and also that it might undermine her personal identity right i can see that i can yeah,
0: yeah i can completely see both points and i think there is a risk going forward that more quote-unquote manly women will be persecuted haunted. persecuted yeah. yeah persecuted is a good word yeah. persecuted yeah i suppose the only counter you can make to that is just that ultimately someone's got to decide the rules if women's sport is to be a protected category Yeah, where do you draw the line in terms of who who classes a women and here yeah. what they've done is they've taken testosterone levels right that's that's yeah. what they've gone from they've said that is the determining factor yeah. and that's That's ultimately their decision as the governing body of the sport yeah
1: i think it's interesting as well there's to some extent an analogy with citizenship different sports have different criteria for determining citizenship in some cases you need to literally be a a local citizen have lived there a certain time have family there to avoid people just giving a passport so you can play for them and it kind of gives rise to an interesting an analogical thought experiment what if you wanted to represent a country take me as an example i'm of greek origin well i believe i'm of greek origin Uh, I'm, I'm, i'm raised to be of greek origin you know, but I'm in the UK, but that's my ancestry, and the rules seem to allow that. If there were to be some sort of investigation that determined that actually, whilst I identify that way, we discover that my grandfather lied, was actually from a neighbouring country, and, and bought a you know fake passport. Um, so Constantine Collius was never
0: actually Greek. <laughs> no,
1: exactly. Like say that say this was the case. Would that then mean that I should be permitted to compete for Greece or? Does that mean that, that I should follow the conventional rules and despite the way that I identify, not be allowed to compete? So in this thought experiment, what we're saying
0: is that facts come to light. You're not Greek in any yeah. way that qualifies you to represent them. Yeah. Should you
1: still be allowed to just because you identify culturally yeah. as Greek? Would the fact that it upsets me change the fact that we've revealed that there is some sort of murky gray area? And it is a gray area because obviously if I were visiting Greece a lot, speaking a bit of Greek, you know, what the question of what it is to be Greek in a general sense is different to how does this governing body define whether you're Greek. And ultimately, I think that's what it comes back to is the governing body will have their regulations and
0: your case may prove to be a challenge to the way that they've stipulated that. Yeah. But they've set that up in a way so as to level the playing field. And
1: God, it's just tough, it's, isn't it? It's, it's very obs- tough. It's upsetting to, to, to kind of think about, right? Because like you said earlier, there's just no winning.
0: I guess the general takeaway here is that categorization is always somewhat arbitrary. And our aim as, well, the aim of governing committees, at least, should be to try and do it in the least imperfect way possible and Mm. and bit by bit kind of get to a point where everyone does feel as included as possible.
1: Oh man. Tricky times. So do you have a view on the Semenya ruling? I don't really and I think it's tough because it's so colored by
0: the events that she went through and I Mm. think obviously that makes things trickier. I don't know enough scientifically to make the decision. I suppose you have to trust to the fact that Someone has assessed it scientifically and decided that the, the mm. thresholds they've set make it fairer for the class of yep. women's sports. And fair. But you
1: use the word fair there. So that, that takes us to the next theme that we discussed a lot. Meritocracy.
0: Indeed. So meritocracy rewards hard work and talent. Possibly it's the talent word there that's, that's kind of key, right? You may remember, if you've listened to our episode on billionaires, quick plug for episode one, Should Billionaires Exist? that we spoke about a philosopher, John Rawls, and he took issue with the whole concept of meritocracy, which is quite fun because actually, if you look around, meritocracy is kind of baked into the way that capitalist societies function. Yeah, especially in America.
1: It means it's deeply culturally and psychologically ingrained. But Rawls thought that meritocracy was ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, basically, his argument is that on some level, everything is morally arbitrarily inherited. Does it matter more whether I have intelligent genes or you know the, the the ability to to work hard and succeed is largely determined by how intelligent you are how hardworking your nature is how mm-hmm. uh, conscientious your nature is and if you do not have those things that means that you are not a worthwhile person like what, what was supposed to be the takeaway from that and i think the the point or the relation here is why are certain genetic differences being punished whilst others are arbitrarily being celebrated so here's, here's a good question for you take
0: michael phelps for an example the guy yeah, he's is, a freak. He's, yeah, <laughs> a very talented freak. Let me he, clarify what we mean by freak, though. Sorry, just. <laughs> <to clarify. laughs> yeah, he's. Well, he
1: has he has genes that confer tremendous advantage on his ability to swim. If I remember correctly, abnormally large hands and feet, double jointed ankles, so he gets a larger range of motion from kicking. with him. His arm span is completely disproportionate. Interesting. So why is that a genetic trait that we're essentially celebrating? Whilst Semenya's is one that we're punishing. And this is, it's interesting because the point we're trying to get at there is. It's not an, a result of their moral agency.
0: Yeah, they were, they were born that way. And yet Phelps is celebrated as, you know, probably he would go down in history as one of the best swimmers ever. Semenya was awarded golds in the Olympics, but she's been really penalized by these rulings that say actually she's not eligible to compete in the categories mm. that she was competing in.
1: I think one reason why these might be unfair comparisons is just thinking about how it's segregated and why we have a protected class for women. So in the case of Phelps, I mean, essentially if you segregated him, where else would he compete? He he would not have a a place to compete. How would you even segregate him? Like by by foot size or something? I mean, what would you? And even then, like say that you did that, you'd probably segregate in a way that takes a lot of the other top swimmers. And then basically it would remain that those are the quote unquote best swimmers. And then whoever is not in that class is, you'd create a new winner of another Mm -hmm. class, but otherwise the outcome is much the same. That is assuming that you segregate in a way that he can either in some way remedy it. Uh, and there's no surgery here. You get to like shorten his arms, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> um, not one that he'd want anyway. No, But in essence, yeah, he would either have the opportunity to compete entirely removed or we'd create a second league. Basically an elite class. Yeah, yeah. we'd, we'd mm-hmm. basically just be creating an elite class. In the case of Semenya, whilst arguably it's very unfair, she does have the option of reducing her testosterone, which, you know we can say is could be very harmful to her, Mm. but it's often the case in many sports that we have status quo where we encourage people to do things that are very harmful to them in the interest of being better at the sport, right? So for example, in the case of the untested bodybuilding and strongman competitions, we're basically encouraging people to take performance enhancers. I suppose that's why most sports don't do that. But also in say, for example, horse racing, boxing, any weight class sport, we're encouraging aggressive dieting strategies to try and meet weight class limits, right? And, and, and doing that well becomes part of doing the sport well. In case of horse racing, where, you know, they're doing big sauna sessions to try and get as light as, light as possible before the race. <laughs> it's not unheard of to require people to do things that are actually arguably maybe not great for their health in order to partake in sport. Yeah, um, I certainly wouldn't blame yeah. her for not wanting to. Yeah. Um, An alternative? Th- she is eligible to compete in the men's, I would suppose. Is that is that true? I believe so. I don't know. But obviously it's you know part of the reason it's not discussed is because she wouldn't be able to compete at an elite level but there's a difference between saying you couldn't compete at the elite level because you're not able to and saying you're not permitted to compete
0: yeah that's true what you're saying there is that she's still eligible to it's just that then it's a question of can she perform at that level which kind of puts her in the same position as a lot of men who are better than the best women but not as good as, the as the men best in men in athletics specifically
1: yeah wow oh man it's tough so on balance, is
0: sex segregation in sporting competition morally justifiable? And ultimately, who should decide?
1: Yeah, I think it's generally morally justifiable. I think it's more often than not in keeping with the purpose of the sports. Because again, reminder, 99.999% of sports... i not um, sure about all those nines there, mate. Yeah, I know. ...is <laughs> <laughs> competed at like a non-competitive, non-elite level. The moral social teaching, the health and fitness benefits, the, the enjoyment of the sport are probably the primary purposes there right and and segregation is helpful both amongst sexes but also amongst weight classes and stuff for safety or or fun competitiveness uh, and leagues mm. right the more difficult question is how do we deal with with people who don't neatly fit into categories and ultimately the question
0: of who should decide is that it is the responsibility of the sporting committees and leagues, probably where we don't agree with them. I suppose it's the responsibility of participants and interested people yeah. to take issue with that and try and
1: take That's action. To, yeah, I, I think the reality either way is that what's what's going to happen is that it's going to be a case by case basis, right? It's it's every single committee where they determine that it's become there is an athlete that poses this question there'll have to be some sort of appeal or, or some sort of argument over it. It's like we said, it's
0: a, it's a trolley problem, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's a zero-sum thing. There's going to be... someone has to. Someone's going to lose. Given the committees are the ones driving the trolley, you want to make sure that they're going very carefully yeah. <laughs> along yeah, the tracks. I think on balance, my view is definitely that Ooh. Having considered it, there's, there's a lot of argument in favour of why we segregate on the basis of sex in sport and, yeah. and on the basis of other categories too. And it makes for a fairer, more interesting playing yeah. field, which promotes so many other virtues. Although,
1: sorry, I, I meant to say that does rest on the assumption you know, that a lot of people make. Uh, that inclusion of difficult to categorise individuals undermines, a lot of people will say is a big assumption. The, the, the evidence isn't clear enough to be definitive, I think. I'm being mm. careful with my words. I don't know what the answer is. Please don't hate me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Jesus. Well, that was a long and difficult one.
0: This was a tricky episode. I think in prior episodes, we've come into an argument with a clear idea of our position. And, and it's been really interesting to research it and kind of mm. try and balance that out against other opinions. But this this was genuinely just a difficult topic. And I feel mm. like one of the great things about doing this is I feel like I've learned Learned a lot learned a lot by doing this but next week we need to go for something lighter like abortion or
1: something (laughs) Um, well i think that's pretty much everything jake what do you think we'll chat about next episode We've got a number of potential topics,
0: things that we'd like to get into. I'll tell you what, if you guys want to hear one in particular, I mean, we'll cover all of them eventually, but we were looking at the morality around vegetarianism. Slash veganism. Slash veganism.
1: Climate change is a potential topic we can come to. Oh, uh, I have a, one that I wanted to discuss was, is it wrong to work at Facebook? That's going to
0: be a very relevant topic as we come up to the US elections. Yeah. Oh my God, that's going to be will, big.
1: We will call that, call that a day. It's been great to chat to you all. Have a good day. Please leave that review in our podcasts.
0: Yep, like, subscribe, and take care. Thank you very much, everyone.